Okay, now, uh, yeah, in a moment, we are going to consider uh, this uh, great section of Scripture that we have read uh, together. It's a section that theologians call the visitation, where Mary, uh, you saw it, didn't you? She comes to Elizabeth, and they enjoy this great moment together. So in a minute, we're going to consider that. And yes, uh, in a moment, um, we're going to handle that, I suppose, in what you might view as being a reasonably conventional way. Uh, So in a moment, we're just going to think about what that section of Scripture teaches about responding to Jesus. We're going to look at this section and think about responses to our Lord and the salvation that Jesus brings. Yes, in a moment we will do that. But before that, really, I want to begin this morning with a bad word I want to begin today with a swear word. And I want to begin with the word abortion. I uh, was trying to do the maths this week. And uh, it turns out that last year was a record-breaking year in the United Kingdom uh, for all of the wrong reasons. Um, Let me give you the maths. So apparently there were over, and my mass is not great, but there were over uh, 227,000 pregnancies terminated in this country. Can you, can you try and get your head around that? So that is the equivalent of more than the population of Aberdeen killed in the womb. Uh, Perhaps most shameful of all is the name of the city that sits proportionally right at the top of the Scottish statistics. You know what city it is, don't you? Proportionally, there are more pregnancies terminated in Dundee than anywhere else in our country. Now, the world, of course, will make all manner of arguments uh, to try and somehow legitimize these killings. I will mention but two of these arguments. First, we hear all the time that it is the right of a woman to choose because it is her body, after all. What's the problem with that? The problem is, of course, that that is quite simply not true. Yes, that little life is within, within a woman. Yes, that that body is carried by a woman. But that little life is not the woman's body. Any biologist worth their salt would confirm for us that that little baby within the womb carries a sequence of DNA all of its own. Another argument? Do you want another argument? We hear that that pre-born child, that unborn child is not a life. It's not a person. It is but a collection of cells. And surely you're with me when I say that it is right there that the Christian must, not just ought to, but must take a stand. Because the Bible makes something very, very clear indeed. The Bible makes clear that that little 
unborn child is indeed a life. It is a person. We have Job, don't we? What does Job declare? He speaks of God knitting him as a person together in his mother's womb. We have the psalmist declare something similar. And then you come to church today and you open your Bible and you come to Luke chapter 1. And isn't it remarkable to look upon the verses that we have read together from this perspective? Because what happens in this little short section of Scripture that we have read today? What happens? What happens? You might say that what we have here is already a fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? If you've been here for this sermon series, do you not remember what was promised in verse 15? Gabriel comes to Zechariah, promises, you're going to have a son? And in verse 15, what does Gabriel promise? He says, and this person will be filled with the Holy Spirit from where? From his mother's womb. And then we come into our section and miraculously that is fulfilled. But, 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 do you not notice what happens here? Do you not notice how this, in our section, this pre-born, unborn child responds? Look at it. He leaps for joy. Isn't it remarkable? So John the Baptist, who is he? The forerunner, isn't he? John the Baptist begins his ministry of testifying to Jesus. He begins it with an emotional response to Jesus, and he begins it in utero. He begins that ministry from his mother's womb. I mean, you can see it. I, I'm sure you can see it. We, we simply cannot read the Bible and conclude that what a mother carries within her is but a collection of cells. The Bible makes something very clear, and it's this. From God's perspective... And that is, after all, the only perspective that counts. From God's perspective, in the mother's womb is life. That is something that is to be cherished, loved, and protected. Why? Because it is exactly that. It is life within the womb. It is a person. And it is a person made in the image of God. So I do this morning want to begin by challenging you if you're a Christian in this place. I'm asking you to examine your prayer life. Here's my question to you. Do you often, regularly, frequently pray against the evil of abortion? Did you hear it? Assess your prayer life even for the past week or month. Do you often pray against the evil of this age, this evil of abortion? And if the answer is this morning, no, I, I, I don't then from this portion of Scripture, look at the life, the unborn life, leaping for joy in Jesus, and allow that to bring you to your knees before God. Now, after that, I suppose, extended introduction, I want to ask you to do two things, okay? I want to ask you first to remember what I said that we would do this morning. What was it? Do you recall? I said that we would look at this text and think about responses to Jesus. Responses we see from here, right? So bring that, call that to mind. Second thing I want to ask you to do, it's predictable. I want to ask you to turn back to this portion of scripture. So whether it's on your phone, whether it's an actual copy of God's word, 
in your hands. Please turn back to Luke chapter 1. We're looking at verses 39 to 45. And remember, responses, responses to Jesus that we see in this text. (coughs) So what's the first response we see? It is surely, even given what we've just said, we see here a response of joy. It is a response of joy uh, to Jesus. Okay, now, uh, what is that uh, famous uh, phrase, that famous expression? You can choose your friends. <laughs> but you, you can't choose your family. You choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. I don't know if I've mentioned this to, to you before. My dad used to have a sign outside the back door of his house. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, but the sign, maybe I've mentioned this to you, but the sign says, uh, friends welcome. Uh, family only by invitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I know that it's similar uh, for many in this congregation, isn't it? That a trip to see family uh, can be uh, fraught with struggle. Isn't that right? We love these people, don't we? But, but sometimes going to see them on a trip to see family it can be difficult and it can be tough, right? I know that's the case for, for many of you. Well, not so. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, right? Uh, in the background here, Mary has been told both, she's been told two things, both that she will bear a son. But she's also been told that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so what does she do as we begin this portion of Scripture? Do you notice what she does? She drops everything, doesn't she? And she she runs off to see Elizabeth. And and what we find is this, oh, isn't it? A beautiful scene as she arrives and she speaks to her relative. Do you agree with what I've just said? That it's a beautiful picture? I mean, isn't it actually one of the most wonderful (laughs) interactions that we've got in the Bible? It's a beautiful scene. I mean, think about what you've got. You've already, you've got, okay, what did I say? You've got John leaping for joy in the, the, so you've got that. What about Mary? You think about Mary. Mary is so thrilled here that she is about to burst into song, (laughs) the Magnificat, okay? So John's delighted, Mary's, what about Elizabeth? Elizabeth also is so excited, she is chucking out beatitudes, she is chucking out blessings like there is no tomorrow. It's this joyful, joyful, joyful scene. Now, because this seems so alien to us in this fallen world. Don't you think we should just try and analyze that joy for a moment? Just to think about the joy here? Let me make a a couple of comments about this joy that's before you. The first, and I want you to grasp it, this is the joy of fellowship. It is the joy of gospel fellowship. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Here's the first question. Why exactly does Mary make this trip? I mean, you understand, I hope, that this is one monumental journey for a young woman, right? Do you understand that? I mean, we're talking about a journey, but on foot of over 80 miles, <laughs> 80 miles from Nazareth to the hill country of, of, of Judah. And, and you get the idea, you hear it all the time in church, the dangers of this journey. 
Like this was over treacherous terrain, all manner of threat. Why, why on earth does she make this journey? What, what, what would you say? It's not just to get out of Dodge, is it? Because she's found out that she's pregnant out of wedlock. Right? We, we, we know, we, we know, don't we? She wants to surely share with someone in the wonder of what God is doing. I mean, she has been bowled over by Gabriel's words of salvation in Jesus Christ, doesn't she? And so what is she? She's so excited. She wants to share this excitement. She knows that God has also met with Elizabeth, so she wants to share in this excitement with somebody who understands, doesn't she? Now, this might make you laugh, but I do firmly believe that what you've got there in Zechariah's front room It is a a picture of what life at St. Peter's should be like. I think you've got in this picture of Mary and and Elizabeth and and their joy together, I think you've got St. Peter's or what it should be like in in microcosm. Can can you at least see what I'm saying? And these people were family, just as we are in Jesus Christ. And as they share together so as we meet together and even on a Sunday by Sunday we should have a similar joy that we're sharing together in what God is doing God's work in Jesus Christ and I I do want to bring that especially to the students in the room and to the young people I wonder if the, the students and the young people if you can remember just a couple of weeks ago a few weeks ago how old we said that Mary was it just blows my mind every time. Isn't it something to think about Mary as spy age? Mary, 13, 14 years old. And if you're a student and you're a young person, just think about that. What is the picture that God provides for you here? You have got this picture of somebody younger than you, for, for many of you. And she has joined this moment of joy and intimacy and Christian fellowship with a woman who is old enough to be her great-grandmother. And if you're a student, a young person, I really do want you to pay heed to that. And And I want you to hear this. It is important. I am not minimizing it. It is important for you to seek to build relationships with Christians of an equivalent age to yourself. That is important. But I do need you to hear and understand while you are still young. There is great blessing to be had in fellowship with older saints. I'm appealing to you. If you're a young person, if you're a student, don't spend all of your time, all of your church time with Christians of an equivalent age. Seek out older Christians for conversation. Join a fellowship group, or even today, after the service, over a cup of tea, over a cup of coffee, go and look for an older saint, converse with them, and let's be a church that enjoys what we have in Luke's gospel, and what is that but fellowship across the age ranges? So we see that it is joy, but it's joy in fellowship. Another aspect of the joy, though, I'm sure you can see, is that it is joy in Jesus, isn't it? I promised you a couple of questions. Uh, Here's the second question. Why are these people 
in this account so happy? <laughs> why is Mary so happy? Why is Elizabeth so happy? Why are they so filled with joy? Indeed, I'll press into it a little bit more. Is it just because of a shared experience of pregnancy? I think we can probably, we probably all know people like this, don't we? Sisters or friends who have become pregnant roughly about the same time. And it seems, doesn't it seem to draw those people together? They're going through this at the same time. Is that all we are dealing with here? Is that the cause for their joy? No, you know it's not. Or is it just, is it just that they are seeing a relative they haven't seen and they're seeing them for the first time in ages? Is that why they're so excited? Is that what? No, no, you know it's not. Let me state what you already know. This is a joy that is specifically centered on Jesus. Now, just think about the individuals here for a moment to see that. So, I ask you, why is John leaping? Why is he leaping for joy? You know the answer. His ministry is to be all about Jesus. And here he is in Zechariah's front room, from the womb, encountering the Lord for the first time. That's why John is excited. What about Mary? Why is she happy? Well, do you know what God tells you? Have a look if you've got a Bible. Look at verse 47. Why is Mary so, so delighted? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's rejoicing in the one that she's carrying in her womb, isn't she? And then what about Elizabeth? Why is she so excited? Well, again, she tells you, verse 43, I'm rejoicing because the mother of my Lord is here. So everything in this account, from every single person you have here, everything is underlining the same thing. What is it? This is joy centered on Jesus of Nazareth. This is joy in Christ. Because of that, I feel obligated to bring that to, to those of you in the room who do not know Jesus Christ, those who are not born again by the Spirit of God. I want you to think about that. You need to understand, what, why is it that Luke is recording this scene? Other gospel writers, perhaps, don't record this scene. Why is Luke recording this for you? It is to underline a profound truth. And that is that even for you, with all that is going on in your life, there is joy to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you heard that correctly. Oh, I hope you did. Now, be careful what I didn't say. I did not say that if you come to Jesus Christ by faith, your life is going to be easy. I didn't say that. I didn't say if you come to Christ by faith, your life will be a breeze far from it. What did I say? Listen, even in this world filled with pain and a world of absolute suffering everywhere, you understand there is indescribable joy to be found in Jesus Christ. And all of the people of God in here would affirm that truth. Oh, the joy of knowing that the penalty of your sin is taken away from you. There is joy in that. Oh, the joy of knowing, wait for this, peace in your relationship with God. The joy of that. You know what the greatest joy is? The greatest joy is knowing unity with Jesus of Nazareth. One who is loving, gentle, 
and kind. And so, if never before, I appeal to you today to come to Jesus Christ and find yourself, perhaps, even today, leaping for this joy. So we see a response here, and it's a response of joy. A second response that we see in this text is the response of humility. So we've got joy, right? Joy, but second of all, humility. (coughs) Excuse me. At the risk of sounding a bit long in the tooth, at the risk of sounding a little bit old, um, I think it's true, uh, or I think it's true, that personality traits or how Uh, characteristics and personality traits are viewed by a society, that that changes uh, over the years. How personality traits are viewed, that changes over the years. Um, I'll I'll take the example of arrogance. Now, you think about arrogance for a moment. When it wasn't the case maybe 20 or 30 years ago, isn't it true that today, uh, to have a certain degree of arrogance in some circumstances, is actually viewed by our society as being a positive thing. That wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago. I think it is now. Uh, Where would we look for examples of that? You know, TV shows like The Apprentice. Remember that? Uh, But think about it. You know, on The Apprentice, to shoot from the hip, just to be somebody who speaks your mind, a bit bullshy. That was viewed as being a really positive trait. Or what about some of the thoroughly toxic cultural stuff that today is aimed at young men. You know, to be egotistical, you know, to to be a bit bumptious, to be overly assertive, that sort of stuff is portrayed almost as being attractive, uh, portrayed as in in a positive light. What is the point I'm making here? The point is this, that today, Humility. Humility is a much overlooked and undervalued virtue. Humility. Now, as we storm back into Zechariah's front room, I'm going to find it really, really difficult not to make uh, a a joke about a certain jewelry shop. Um, Because what do we see when we come into Luke's gospel in this scene but Elizabeth Humble? Is that not the case? Um, but in all seriousness, it is exactly what you see, isn't it? You know, look at Zechariah's wife here. If you stare at her, if you examine Zechariah's wife, what you see is a remarkable degree of humility from this woman. Now, first here, think about the extent of Elizabeth's humility here. What, what do we know about the culture of the time? Come on, the culture, the Middle East in the first century, we know, I suppose a little bit like Japan, maybe, or parts of Asia, we know that the culture of the time was a culture of respect, wasn't it? You know this as well as I know it. It was a culture where showing esteem, deference for your elders was an essential part. So what, what, wait a minute, what would you expect to have read as Mary, this young woman, comes knocking on the door? What would you expect to, to, to see? You would expect to see her poor, heap, blessings all on this older woman, Elizabeth. After all, she's much older and she was a priest's wife to boot. And so isn't it remarkable to see what you do have in front of you? Isn't it in reverse? 
by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it is Elizabeth in that culture. And it's Elizabeth that is showing respect. It's Elizabeth that is pouring out all of these terms and these words of favor on the younger woman. She's even crying out at one point, oh, why is it granted to me that you should be here? Isn't that remarkable? An extent of humility here. But I perhaps think more than that, you need to wrestle with the cause, the reason, the basis, the foundation of this humility. See, this was not a humility that this elderly woman Elizabeth had for everybody. Nor is it a humility that is specifically focused on Mary. There is actually in the text that a reason, a clear biblical reason given for her humility. But you actually have to notice two tiny little words in the text to get it. I like uh, how one writer speaks about this, the cause of the humility. The writer says that what you've got in front of you is a bullseye. There's two little words right in the center of this text that are all important to understanding this humility. So would you look with me to verse 43? How good are you at darts? Let's get verse 43. What is the bullseye, the center of the text that show her humility? Elizabeth cries out, and and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you see? This is a humility that is brought about by the presence of Jesus. Now, I think you will need to take it from me that reams and reams and reams and reams have been written about those two little words, my Lord everyone asking, well, hang on then. I mean, she's she's calling Jesus my Lord. Who exactly did Elizabeth understand this baby Mary's carrying to, to be, right? If she's calling this unborn child my Lord, who does she understand this baby to, to be? Let me very briefly give you the three views. One, some people think this is just a term of respect. I hope uh, Thanos will confirm for me later on, but the term that is used here in the Greek is kurios. Just my Lord. It's, it's a word that can be used of just dignified people. Some people think that's all that Elizabeth is doing, just showing respect here. That is nonsense. Other people think she is using this term, my Lord, because she understands this unborn baby to be the Messiah, the Christ, which of course is true. But I honestly believe there is something even better, bigger, brighter going on here. What I think Elizabeth doing is she is quoting Old Testament scripture here. She's quoting what you have just sung in Psalm 110. And here in Zechariah's front room, she's quoting that great Davidic phrase, my Lord said to my Lord. And if that is right, do you see what you have in your hands? Doesn't it open up Luke chapter 1? Because what you've got in your hands is perhaps the greatest Christological declaration of them all. That actually what Elizabeth is doing, prompted by the Holy Spirit, is saying of this unborn child, this is the God-man. And it blows my mind to think about technology. <laughs> because can you believe it? 
If the technology had been better in the day, don't you see what we could have had? We could have had a sonogram. We could have had a scan photo. And a scan photo of God himself, God within the womb. Don't you see that? That is the basis for her humility. As Elizabeth, this elderly woman, as she considers Mary's offspring, she is brought low. Why is she brought low? Because she realizes she is in the presence of the divine. That this humility that Elizabeth shows, what is it but a desire that, no, 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 I don't want the attention. I don't care what the culture says. She wants all the attention and the focus to be off her and to be on Jesus. For who is this but the Messiah? No more. This is the Son of God. And doesn't that, if you're a Christian, challenge you this morning, doesn't it? Because surely you look at Elizabeth and you have to ask, as I have to ask, are we similarly minded? Is there humility in our hearts? Does everything in our life, do we want all of the attention and the focus moved off us and entirely onto Jesus Christ? Do we want the praise to be on him? If not, we know for what to pray. We pray for humility, don't we? And why? That we might be able to say, with John the Baptist, who clearly learned it from his mama, he must increase, but I must decrease. We see joy here, but we see especially in Elizabeth humility. Third and last, and most brief, I think we see also faith. We see faith here. <coughs> oh, can I ask you a favor, friends? Here, I want you to pick up um, those imaginary, uh, that imaginary instrument, that metaphorical instrument that I've mentioned to you before. I'm going to ask you to stick with me to pick up the jeweler's magnifying glass. And I'm going to ask you to inspect, uh, in particular, verse 45. Uh, one writer says, and I agree with him, the verse 45 contains the principal lesson in all of this text. Did you hear that? Verse 45 contains the principal lesson in all of this text. So verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. So you have your jeweler's eyeglass, do you? Uh, I can't remember what it's called for the life of me, a loop or something like that. That jeweler's, jeweler's magnifying glass. You're inspecting those words, are you? So you hold that jewel up, verse 45. What do you notice about these words? Come on. What do you notice? First of all, surely the principal thing that you notice is that in God's sight, faith in Jesus Christ is something laudable, it is something commendable in the sight of God. Don't you see it? I mean, Mary has heard from Gabriel of the salvation that will come through Jesus Christ. What's her principal response? She believes it. She places her trust in him. So Mary, the mother of the Lord, is placed before you by God as an example. No, as a God-pleasing example to follow. 
What's the verse that springs to your mind? Come on, is it not without faith? It is impossible to please God. So you see that, you inspect it with your jeweler's magnifying glass. It jumps out. Faith clearly. Blessed is she who believed. It is clearly laudable in God's sight. But I am asking you to do some work with me. Even on a Sunday morning, the day of rest. Do some work with me. Come on and look at the opening verses. What do you see? Think about the pronouns. What do you see? Think about the pronouns. Where previously, Elizabeth in verse 42 seems to have been looking directly at Mary and speaking to Mary, things change here. Do you notice verse 42, Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Do you notice how it seems to have changed here? Elizabeth had been looking at Mary, speaking to Mary, but here it's almost as though that changes. It's almost as though, isn't it, that Elizabeth kind of turns away, points to Mary, and speaks about Mary. Do you notice that? It's not blessed are you, but it's blessed is she. Now, what question rises up from the text there? If you're anything like me, you're asking, well, who is Elizabeth speaking to? If she's pointing and speaking about Mary, who is she speaking to? Do you know the, the, the mischief maker in me uh, wants to suggest Zechariah? Can you, can you see why? You know, he's perhaps in that house somewhere as well, right? You know, skulking about in another room silently, obviously, having not believed. And isn't it very much like husband and, and, and wife here? Because, you know, Elizabeth raises her voice a little bit, perhaps, you know, and honey, honey, look how it should have been. Blessed is she who did actually believe in God's words. But perhaps that's foolishness. It's certainly speculation. And, and instead, you in here just now can really see, can't you? Can't you see who, who really it is that Elizabeth is speaking to? How would you answer that? Theophilus? Maybe you would say that, you know, the whole book's to Theophilus and he, he needs assurance. And, and perhaps in a sense, Luke records it, Elizabeth speaking to him. But, but more, this is the crux of the matter. Who is Elizabeth speaking to? Listen to me. This morning, Elizabeth speaks through the centuries and Elizabeth is speaking to you. And so I'm asking you this morning, how do you respond? As Elizabeth looks through the centuries, she points to Mary. She holds Mary up as an example to follow and she declares to you, blessed is she who believes. How can you respond? I mean, can you, can you not smile? knowing that all by God's grace that you have followed that example. I mean, can, can you not smile, Christian friend? Knowing that by God's grace you have believed and that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you know who he is. He's the one who's lived obediently and he's the one who's died vicariously. You know that he is the one who's risen victoriously. Can you not smile, Christian friend, knowing that like Mary right now, you are engrafted into Christ by faith. 
And if you can smile, don't you rejoice because what is Elizabeth saying to you? She's saying, blessed are you. Blessed is she. Isn't it special? God is reminding you here that today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, you are going to be somebody who receives the blessing and the favor of God all by your faith in Jesus Christ. But I end with this. If if you are sitting in here or at home and you are yet to do this, yet to be born again, I want you to listen to me. Talked a lot about that jeweler's magnifying glass. Oh, I appeal for you to see clearly through it. What is the jewel in this text? It is the diamond of faith in Jesus of Nazareth. Of all these responses to Jesus and the salvation that he brings, number one, the ultimate response to Christ is to have faith in his name. Friend, I ask you to heed Elizabeth's words and know the ultimate blessings, the eternal blessings that only come through faith in Christ. What does she declare to you? Blessed is she who believed, who believed. Will you not this morning follow suit? Friends, let's bow our heads before God and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portion of Scripture, the visitation. Um, We, Lord feel your rebuke as we look at this life within the womb, leaping for joy at Jesus. And so we pray to you and we ask, Lord, that you would change the thinking of our culture, that there would be a hatred of abortion. But we pray that we might have these responses to Jesus. We pray that there would be renewed joy in our hearts, a joy together as there was for Mary and Elizabeth, a joy looking to Jesus as the Savior from sin. We pray that we would be humble everything in our lives would be about exalting the name of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would deepen our faith and that you might provide faith for someone here this morning. Lord God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen.